Welcome to the Humans of Hospitality podcast with me, Mark Cribb, and this is another sort of COVID-19 special edition where I am dipping in and having a quick chat with a previous guest about how they and their business are dealing with the current challenges. Uh, and this week I'm chatting to Giles from Olives et al. And I was keen to chat to Giles because I remember from our original conversation that he's been in business a long time. He seems like a sort of a, a wise man who's had a lot of experiences. And he also had a background in the military. And I thought, well, he's hopefully got a pretty good perspective and a pretty rational perspective on what we should be currently doing. Uh, and lots of people that have advised me to sort of pivot my business and get more into the home delivery or maybe set it up as a shop working with some of my suppliers. But I have to say, I felt like the wholesalers were probably in a better position uh, to do that than probably the sort of frontline restaurants. So I wanted to have a chat with Giles, who I know has pivoted his business uh, into loaf and larder. So a sort of home delivery uh, equivalent to what some of the supermarkets are doing and just find out why he did that and if it's working and whether there are some things that we could learn. And he had three reasons, really, why he decided to do it. And one of the key ones was actually... You know, what was he going to do to save his business? And, and, and sort of we had a chat about his recognition that if he left his business mothballed or if he didn't try and find a way of re-employing his team with no idea really when the hospitality industry is going back to normal, um, it's much harder to restart a closed business than it was to keep his business running in some way. So I thought it was a, a really interesting chat. Um, we touched on the slight sort of feeling I think many of us are feeling at the moment in this sort of guilt of trying to keep your business going and bringing your teams into work, but also this recognition that we do need to keep the economy going. You know, we are going to need to come out of this and we're going to need to employ people or, or re-employ people or keep people employed. So we had a little chat about that. And then even sort of, you know, the simplicity, I suppose, of getting back to business in its early guise. So Giles is actually out on the road delivering to some of his customers in his local community and sort of what it's meant, I suppose, to re-establish that relationship directly with uh, with his local community, which I think is something great that's happening across the industry. So I really hope you enjoy the episode. If you're enjoying these uh, podcasts, uh, I used to pay for these through my own business, my own bars and restaurants down in Bournemouth, but uh, unfortunately they are all now closed. So if there's any way you could support keeping the podcast on the air, I would be hugely appreciative. Uh, go to patreon.com forward slash humans of hospitality where you could make a donation or just go to humansofhospitality.co.uk, scroll down to the bottom of the page uh, and there is a link there um, to become a patron and to be supportive and that would be hugely appreciated. Okay, very much hope you enjoy the episode. Thank you. Giles from Olives et al, thank you so much for uh, joining me back on the podcast. How are you doing? Not too bad, Mark, not too bad. It's been an interesting few weeks, hasn't it? It certainly has, yes. Yeah. So you and I spoke, gosh, quite a few months ago now, uh, but we're just going to have a catch-up specifically around how sort of COVID-19 is affecting you and your business and all that kind of stuff. But before we do that, for people who haven't listened to the original episode we did, can you just explain what does your company do, Giles? Right. Well, Olives et al. has been around for 27 years. Uh, we created it way back in 1993, uh, following this year-long episodic trip that we took around the Mediterranean. And when we came back, we set up a business that was specialising in olives and olive oil and, and basically Mediterranean food. And over the years, it's grown and diversified. We now employ around about 50 people. And we specialize in going into the hospitality and leisure industries. So we are 
uh, in pubs and in clubs and in restaurants and bars, wine bars. We're also supplying to airlines. Uh, we do supply delis and caterers and restaurants. Well, I mean, I've already said restaurants, but that's us mainly. I mean, we we are an olive business, but we also do olive oil, tapenades, pestos, sauces, dressing, snacks, nuts, uh, a very wide range of products uh, to a very diverse uh, range of customers as well. Yeah. So most of your trade then is to the hospitality sector, is it? Uh, yes, we don't have any anymore. <laughs> yeah, well, I say is uh, yeah, we should, should have used past tense. We're going to be chatting about how COVID has uh, interrupted our business, and yes, uh, it's a ninety-eight percent sales decline almost overnight. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm suffering a hundred percent on my end, so I sympathise oh, yeah. hugely, Giles. And ninety-eight percent is huge. The two percent is left. So you do do a little bit to delis. Are your products available in any, in any sort of waitroses and supermarkets, or is it uh, more no, the sort of standalone delis? We've we've never really been huge into supermarkets at all. We do do and will always and have done for the last ten years some own label for Marks and Spencers, but other than that, we're not in Waitrose, we're not in Sainsbury's, we're not in Tesco's, we're not in ASDA, uh, we're not in any Lidl or Discounters or anybody else. We are supplying into delis, but an awful lot of the high street delis they're really suffering because people are obviously in lockdown, they're not going out. So footfall has declined immensely. And many of them have set up their own um, home delivery schemes, which we applaud because it's that's, that's exactly what we've done. Uh, we've always operated. Uh, well, we, we've always been able to operate a mail order service because uh, originally the business um, was founded on going out to craft shows uh, around the country. And we used to do craft shows way up in Malvern or up in Worcestershire. Well, that is Worcestershire, isn't it? Uh, but all the way up as far as Cumbria and Scotland. And uh, as we travelled around, we picked up loads and loads of, of mail-order customers. And we would then come back and keep in touch with them, and they would buy from us over, basically, just through mail-order. We still have that ability, and we've turned that into this thing that we're now calling loaf and larder, which is being able to provide goods, essentials, and the things that maybe some of the supermarkets, if you're not already buying online from a supermarket, you're unable to get a delivery stop. So that's why we've created Loaf and Larder. Yeah, perfect. Well, I want to come into the detail of what you're doing off the back of this shortly. But firstly, I just want to you know discuss the impact a little bit, because as well as uh, supplying into hospitality, you also had your own little cafe and kind of uh, deli at HQ. Was it just one of those that you operate yourself? No, we, we, we had two. We had one down in Poundbury uh, called the Potting Shed, which was attached to the garden centre, Castle Gardens Garden Centre in Poundbury. Uh, and that was a 50 cover um, deli cafe bistro. And we tried to keep that open as a little production kitchen doing local takeaways and local deliveries. But it's just it was too dangerous. Uh, Unfortunately, it's a very confined space. The staff weren't really well protected and people hadn't kind of got into that self-isolation or that, that, that social distancing mode. So we took the regretful decision to mothball that. We haven't closed it permanently, I hope. And I hope we'll be able to go back down there fairly shortly and get it back up and running again once restrictions begin to be lifted. But... Yeah, that's okay. what we have to do. The one in Sturminster in our HQ is purely a deli, and we've more or less turned that into a convenience store actually now. Uh, so, yes, eggs, butter, dairy, milk. Okay. And that is still open? And how's that going? That is still open, but again, footfall, very, very uh, few and far between. Uh, people really are, I think, becoming more and more frightened to go out. And it's, it's rare that we see more than three or four people during the course of the day. But that's serving as sort of picking and packing for loaf and larder. 
Yeah, through online. Okay. So if we go back uh, a few weeks, we, I guess presumably you were positive coming into the summer season. I'm guessing if you serve hospitality in the southwest, then you are affected by the, you know the summer being a lot busier to the winter. Were things looking good and positive? Yeah, they were looking very good, very positive. We were launching a whole lot of new products and we were uh, taking on new customers and new chains of pubs and new bars and all sorts of things. We were really looking forward to a great Easter. And with just that weather, once it starts to warm up, and Easter's kind of always that cusp in the year. Once you get past Easter and on the run up to Easter and then beyond it, that's that's kind of when when things really start to fly. And I've always said it's far better to have a really, really good summer than a good Christmas. Because summer, it's, it's a really nice long period for you to... Uh, to get as many products out there as possible and to do as much business as you can. And uh, and our products are, I suppose, naturally suited to the summer months. Yeah. Um, so terrible timing. Uh, I, and I share that as uh, we were just coming in. I mean, gosh, the weather since we've been in shutdown has just been incredible after such a tough winter of storm after storm after yeah. storm battering the coast. Uh, the irony of this beautiful weather. Uh, at what point did you realise, because we were watching this sort of COVID unfold uh, many, many miles away in China. At what point did it really hit you that this was going to have a, a catastrophic impact on a local level? Um I think probably late February. Um, as soon as people really, st- as soon as it started to dominate the news, um, and we, we had entered a couple of products for an award, and which delightfully we we won, and that was a, uh, that was announced on March the fifth, and we came back from that and realised there's no point in doing a press release. There's no point in telling anybody and trying to capitalise on that because we're in it. And I remember doing our, we do a Friday meeting here to the staff every, every week. So every week, every single member of staff, we get everybody together in one room. And we talk to them and we tell them um, what's going on, what's happening, what visitors are coming in. And I remember doing one at the end of February saying, COVID, this thing called coronavirus, here are the symptoms. And I put the symptoms up and they're dated um, to sort of tail end of February that I stuck them up on the notice board and said, look, you all need to be aware of this. This is going to come and bite us. I can't say how badly, but it is going to have a real serious impact on our business. So that was, yeah, end of February, beginning of March. Right. Okay. And then what was the, uh, you know, you, I think our job as the CEOs is to sort of, you know, be ahead of the of the curve, I suppose. I'll excuse the pun of the, we can't talk about the curve at the moment. But at what point did it actually then become a reality? Was it literally a sort of an overnight uh, cancellation or drop off in orders or was it a, a slow build up? Yeah, it was as soon as, as soon as the Prime Minister announced the closing of the pubs. That was it. Yeah, um, just light switch. We, yeah, we saw that. We saw that likely to come because we'd seen obviously what was going on in other countries, and we were we were thinking that this social isolation and the restriction of movement was bound, absolutely bound, to come in our direction. And so we had started trying to make some plans, um, but I don't think it was really possible to guess the scale or to forecast the scale and the speed of the events that unfolded. And I don't think anybody could have could have really foreseen that. And there are still a lot of naysayers out there that say it's all a fraud, it's all a hoax, and we don't need to be taking this seriously. We really do. And it is going to have an yeah. impact and a long-term impact on, on our profession. Mm. Where you, uh, and I remember when we chatted, you know, we were talking about some some beautiful sort of stories of the olive uh, workers in, in places like Syria, but where, where you've got connections 
uh, globally, your sort of supply chain. Yeah. Were you getting any early indications of it affecting um, suppliers as well, or even post? Have you been in touch with some of those suppliers, and, and how are they being impacted overseas? Well, we've been in touch with all of our major suppliers. Um, Spain is in this total state of uh, of shutdown and, and lockdown, and which has been extended, and then their death rate has, has, I think, taken them all by completely by surprise because they're such a sociable and, and fun-loving nation that what has happened over there has, has just really knocked them for six. And I speak to, I speak to a guy who I've known for many years, sort of on a weekly basis, and it, it, he, he, he goes from sort of being completely upbeat and thinking it's all fine to completely despondent. It's this emotional roller coaster that I never know, I never know how, he's, how he's going to be when I speak to him. Some of our suppliers, some of them have completely shut down. Um, others are still in full swing, but they are struggling because their staff are gradually falling by the wayside and becoming ill and having to self-isolate. So we're all running, or they're all running, or seem to be running in Spain on a complete skeleton crew, uh, but trying to trying to keep going. Out of Greece, the news from Greece is is really patchy. I'm not really getting anything particularly reliable. And I, I looked on the Foreign and Commonwealth um, website yesterday to go and see what the travel advice was, and it, it didn't actually say you shouldn't travel, which I was quite surprised about. Um, but I couldn't get any real feel for how badly Greece is impacted. We all know how bad Italy is impacted. Um, that's sort of still daily news over here. Uh, as far as Morocco is concerned, that seems to be accelerating. And we, whilst we still can uh, get goods uh, coming there, we're actually expecting our next Greek truck to arrive with us on Monday. But I've got an awful lot of staff who are very nervous about approaching that Greek truck. So we put a whole load of steps in place about how we're going to unload it, which is a completely different protocol to any that we've we've ever had to follow before. Mm. Yeah, complicated. Yes. But in typical uh, sort of, I don't know, entrepreneurial, we've got to find a way through this style. Whilst all of this was going on, you very quickly managed to sort of flip your focus to this idea of loaf and larder and this sort of yeah online store. How did that come about? Well, uh, we've got a very clunky website as the Olives Atel website. It's it's a bit of a disaster zone, really. And we had been looking at um, raising and putting up another site alongside it. And we had a brand called Loaf and Larder, which is when we used to run concessions in Wyvale Garden Centre. And so we resurrected it and built a Shopify website almost overnight. It, was, it took us just over 24 hours, actually, to get the whole thing up and running with the intention of being able to to fill a gap. We saw that there was this, this yawning chasm uh, with the beginning of panic buying and shelves being stripped and people coming onto our website and asking us for products that we just never thought about selling in the past. And we suddenly realised that a lot of people who were trying to then order either on a cardo and you were 7,000th in the queue or they were trying to get onto the Boots website, 150,000th in the queue, you couldn't get a delivery slot from Waitrose, from Asda, from the Tesco's. You just couldn't. If you weren't already registered, you couldn't get. You, they, they weren't taking on new customers. And if you were a customer, you couldn't get a delivery slot for up to 10 days. And people still needed to be fed and we have access. So all of those restaurants that we used to supply 
that restaurant food that was originally destined for them, the, the bulk pastas, the bulk flours, the, or the bulk rices, were still available. So we started to bring them in here and break that bulk and put them into more convenient size packages. And that's what we created Loaf and Larder for. And that's it's quite. It's, yeah, I imagine it's quite a uh, sort of intensive from an infrastructure perspective. Is it? Is it? Uh, are you doing it because you want to sort of support the community and and provide a service, or do you think this is going to make financial sense as well? Well, there's three reasons why we're doing it. Um, the first one is we're a local business trying to safeguard and and adapt to the long for the long term prospects of our staff. If I um, we've had to furlough. I um, you, you you mentioned yesterday that you'd had to furlough everybody. We've had to furlough sort of 80% of our staff that we've got 40 on furlough and we've got a 10 as a skeleton crew. Those guys that are on furlough, I, I want to bring them back and, and I want to find a way of bringing them back. So Loaf and Larder is kind of trying to create a lifeboat with 98% decline in our sales. I've got to do something in order to keep the coffers going. We also think that by doing this, we really are filling a gap in in the home delivery of basics and essentials, as well as food to cheer the soul, because we all need a bit of cheer every now and again. So we've got some of the essentials up there, like loo roll, but we've also got other essentials like gin. Um, so that's up there, gin, wine, chocolate, chopped tomatoes. We've, we've done everything that we possibly can in order to make it appealing. And we're also actively supporting those in the front line because we're offering discounts to anybody in the NHS with a with a copy of their photo card or their, the, the just take us a picture of your NHS card and you get a discount on the site. Anybody working the emergency services on the front line, we're doing exactly the same again. So discount to all serving members. And we're also doing buy one, send one free. So every order that we take, we're sending a free snack pack of either olives or some of our Reganius crackers to either Yeovil or Dorchester Hospital. And we've already distributed something like around about 200 to each of them. So we're, we're trying to do something for good. We're trying to do something that will keep our business going because we will... Yeah. We will come out the other side. Yeah, it's uh, it, it, it's it's tough. I've been speaking to a number of people who we all share this, uh, I guess, this entrepreneurial optimism that we will find a way and we will trade through it. But bizarrely, at the moment, I think a lot of us don't know exactly what that's going to look like and how yeah. we're going to do that, and 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 the support that's going to be required, I guess, because sort of furloughing the teams has been exceptionally helpful but there's this reality that when we do get to reopen we're not instantaneously going to go back to the levels of business we were before and it seems silly to have supported those people um, through all of this time only then to have to lay them off when we reopen so I think we're starting to focus now on what's that support going to look like uh, when we come out the other side and I'm sure you're the same as me we don't expect the government to support us or to bail us out you know we're, we're, we're capitalist kind of community and it's our responsibility to run our businesses but economically it, it can't make sense that through no fault of their own or our own that all of these you know these businesses really continue to struggle for quite some period of time and, and can't employ people it must make more sense to try and keep yeah, these businesses and, running and, worrying, and get them paying their taxes i think one of the worrying things is that businesses that effectively close during this period may never ever reopen so I'm fearful. Yeah. I'm, I'm fearful for the high street, um, both on small neighbourhood cafes, on small neighbourhood restaurants, but also the high street delis and the high street uh, butchers and bakers that that are struggling to either get supply, or have decided for whatever reason that they don't want to stay open at the moment. Which I totally understand. Yeah. I can understand that uh, absolutely. But once you have mothballed a business, and once your customers have gone elsewhere, it's very difficult to reopen. 
And the longer we stay in this lockdown phase, which we have to for, well, as, as, the, as the government keep on saying, stay at home and, and save the NHS and save lives. And for the longer that we do that, the harder it is to actually wind the economy back up again. So trying to remain in some way entrepreneurial doing this almost feels like you know, a bad thing to do. But on the other hand, I think it's trying to do something for social good as well. It's funny, isn't it? I think we're all sort of walking this moral tightrope at the moment that we've not needed to do before. Because if you work in hospitality, it's fundamentally about people having fun and anniversaries and birthdays and spending time with each other. We've never been in a position before where we have to make a moral decision uh, around making, you know, the, the community worse or, or worse of all, you know, having an impact on people's lives. But we had the same with our takeaway. And, and part of us wants to keep it open from a sort of community perspective. It makes very little financial sense to keep it open, particularly with the complications around furloughing your team and your team not being allowed to work if they're furloughed but wanting to provide a service to the community and also like you say wanting to in some way keep some element of your business running so that you have got a chance of uh, of getting it reopened so yeah it's a is, it's a complex type and that is one of the hardest things about this furlough thing this is a word we hadn't used up until about three weeks ago never heard of it um but the hardest thing about it is that a lot of our teams want to be helpful. They still want to be active. They still want to be motivated. And there's this almost this, this dichotomy of a, we've got 10 members of staff here working their socks off in order to be able to keep the whole place just ticking over and running on full pay. And then we've got a whole lot of people sitting at home on 80% pay, but not able to help. And for the people that are working, there's sometimes you can feel there might be some sort of resentment. Well, why am I working when I could be at home doing all this quality time with my family and getting to know my kids again? And, and I, I mean, I'm part of a Facebook or lots of WhatsApp groups, and I see lots of families that are saying, oh, yeah, we're building a hammock underneath the table. Isn't it fun? And, and not necessarily realising that there are still a lot of people in work who are struggling to try and keep the main businesses going. And you, this furlough thing, you're either on it or you're off it and you can't swing in between, you can't ping people in. For, and I think the government don't realise that business is patchy. It comes in waves. And sometimes, you know this in the hospitality industry, sometimes you need more people to run a service than, than others. And you have a bank of staff that you can pull in. So when you need 10 people on duty, you've got them. When you only need two, you, you only need two. You, can't, you yeah. can't run a business based on sort of a fixed number of staff. It's, I think furlough is a, it's a, it's a tricky old thing, and I think we're going to see some relaxing of it or some alteration to, to the rules. Yeah, I sympathise with the government, and I think it's clearer cut in, in our industry where we're clearly on the front line. For all the, oh, can you imagine? Yeah. I mean, yeah. the, the situation overwhelmed them so quickly. Sorry, I interrupted you. Sorry, Mark. No, 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 no. It's absolutely. Yeah, no. I, I think you're absolutely right. And I was going to make just make the point that I think the complexity of other sectors in hospitality, it's clear cut. You know, we're predominantly closed, and furloughing our teams 
you know, it's something that we've got to do. I suppose the government is trying to protect itself a little bit that if you ripple this back, maybe through to solicitors, lawyers, accountants, professional services and or, or other marketing companies who potentially could furlough their teams, but have them working on other projects if they were allowed to work. And I, I guess the government's got to protect itself from that. But yeah, in our sector, I mean, even getting people in just, you know, once a week to, to clean the restaurants and, and have a walk around and just make sure that we're, I don't know, running some water through the pipe works or checking our cellars and all that kind of stuff. And you're kind of like, well, yeah, are we actually allowed to do that? And there's this slight complexity around if it's not revenue generating. Um, but yeah, maybe um, maybe there's grey areas and we should use our common sense, I suppose, to apply these where we can. Uh, have you looked at the sort of concept of putting maybe people three weeks on, three weeks off furlough so that you can rotate the, the work between different teams? Yeah, we have. But the, 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 the 10 skeleton staff that are remaining are all multifunctional. So all of the 10 of us who are still here, I can still go outside and go and drive the forklift. I can still go downstairs and go and pack olives. I can still go down to the shop and go and run that. I can still uh, take mail orders over the phone. I can go down to the warehouse. I can go and pack orders. I can do all of those things because I've done them over the years. And the people that we've chosen to keep on here are the ones that are the most flexible. They're not just one-trick ponies, if you like. And I'm not saying that we have people who are one-trick ponies. But if you employ someone in the accounts department that have only ever worked in an accounts team, that's really all they can realistically do. To try and actually make them go downstairs and pack mail orders is is not going to work. So I don't think it's feasible at the moment for us to consider this some people on for three weeks and, and rotating them through. And, and plus the fact, with all of the complexity around the legislation from registering them on HMRC and then deregistering them, then re-registering them, and I think that was one of the things that the government was most fearful of, was just losing control. Mm. Yeah, no, agreed. It's uh, it's it's a complicated one, uh, and inevitably, I think we end up with some of our most senior teams who who probably you know work the hardest for the ones that are having to stay on, because they have got that all round kind of ability to to jump into lots of jobs, and then it, it, it's it's potentially irritating to them, as you say, that they're looking at some of their colleagues who are maybe you know less experienced, less hardworking, being paid eighty percent not to come to work, and uh, and we're actually you know yeah sweat sweating the senior guys, which is why I think a lot of places have just decided uh, to close completely. Can I ask though, with with loaf and uh, loaf and larder, is it? Um, can you do a, a full weekly shop? Is it the sort of site you could hit, and it would replace your supermarket um, shop, or is this very much just some additional niceties that people? No, no, get? no. We reckon you can probably do eighty percent of your weekly shop on there. The the two categories that we we don't have currently, but we're working on, is fresh uh, fruit and veg and meat. Other than that, everything else. So if you've got a local butcher and a local greengrocer, support them. Um, but we can supply everything else. So, I mean, we're, we're making fresh sourdough uh, loaves every day um, because we've, we haven't to make sourdough because we run out of yeast like everybody else. So <laughs> there's no opportunity to do what we were doing, uh, but we're doing that. We're doing eggs, milk, dairy, uh, butter, tin tomatoes, tin soup, uh, rice, pasta, pasta sauces. And, yes, there are some nice things on there as well. There's, there's, there's some lovely chocolate. There's some lovely... Um, olives for example uh, of course and there's some great wine and some great gin perfect and are you supply are you doing the deliveries yourself locally or are you using a partner and going national we are national um anything within a reasonable local radius uh we'll do ourselves um so we'll we'll run out wherever we possibly can and that's been a very interesting experience but with the remainder of that anything sort of outside the immediate five ten mile radius uh we can use a courier for 
that's what we do anyway. That's how we used to supply into the, the, the trade. Everything used to be sent by a courier. We are very, very good at packing parcels so that they don't break and they get there the following day. So if you order today, you will receive your order tomorrow. That's impressive because you a lot of um, you know people into the hospitality trade go via wholesalers, but you've always had a, a direct kind of link with your customers. We've, we've you? always tried to maintain that. We do go through wholesalers, of course we do, but we've always liked that um, that that end user uh, link because you get such good feedback when you're going direct, uh, and we're not going direct in a, in a in a large way, far from it. Um, but at least at least you have that personal contact. And that's one of the things, because I've been doing most of the local deliveries myself. And it's really interesting just to see the fear, the fear on people's doorsteps. That's like when you knock on the door, Charles. Knock on the door, yeah. <laughs> well, we have this protocol where we actually walk up to the door, we put, place the basket down or the, or the bags down, um, knock on the door, or if we have to ring a doorbell, we will, but we shouldn't, uh, and then retreat three metres. Uh, and wait till the door gets opened and you, you have a conversation. Um, and some of the conversations are really fearful. Uh, people are really frightened in their houses. Yeah, no shame in that. Uh, yeah, it's a good service to offer. Talking of good service, I also read on your website at one point you were talking about uh, using some of your space to produce ventilators. Is that we right? Offered. We're here. Right. And I've got a furloughed production team that's ready and waiting. We'd love to. I, I will, we'll make testing kits. And we, I've always said that we're an adaptable business and uh, you've been talking about the entrepreneurial spirit. I've always been worried that at some point the bottom will fall out of the olive market. Well, what would we turn our hand to? What would we do? And if, if you t- sort of flew up in a little helicopter and sub- sat hovering over the top of Olives et al. and most businesses and looked down at them, what have you got? You've got goods in. You've got an, a value-adding section. You've got a really good accounts section. You've got a really good sales function. You've got a really good marketing function, a great logistics function. The product is almost in a, immaterial sometimes. And in times of need and times of crisis, I'm quite happy not to produce Olives, but turn over all of our staff to producing ventilators and actually create a complete production line here for that, because most of it would be assembly work. The components are already there. They simply need putting together and putting together in volume. And I'm desperate to do that. Mm. Presumably the difficulty is in knowing how to, uh, yeah, who do, you, who do you need to speak to to make that happen? You haven't got Boris's number. <laughs> I don't think I'd start with Boris. I don't think I'd start with Boris. <laughs> so now we've applied, we've filled out all the forms on the government websites um, and we, we wait to hear. We've also offered our services to Dorset County Council. Um, I did actually write directly to uh, the Chief Executive Dorset County Council, but he's a very busy man, um, and I haven't heard a Dickie Bird back. But basically saying, what do you need us to do? What shortages have you got? What shortages have hospitals got? What shortages are there anywhere that we can turn our hand to? Yeah, likewise, we've done the same, getting in touch with a local hospital and said, look, if you need us to uh, you know, mobilise our chefs and our kitchens and start producing food, either for... Uh, I'm going to use the word customers, uh, patients. That's what they are, isn't it? In the hospital, or for the, or for the sort of support workers or the emergency services. You know, we're here, we're ready. Anything we can do. And at the minute, no. I mean, again, you don't want to kind of get in the way. So I said, look, I'm not going to hassle you. I'm not going to phone you every day. Just we're here. Uh, you've got my details. Let me know if you need help. And it's hard to know. Are they just so busy dealing with other stuff that actually they do need the help? Um, or actually, at the minute, you know, is it is it under control? And we've not been hit as much as we're probably going to be in the next few weeks. But uh, it, it's hard to know, yeah, who and where to offer that support to. I suppose, isn't it? Yes, and and like you say, you don't want to be hassling them every day, saying we're here, we're here, we're here. What you just need to do is is to make the offer, and and hopefully, 
either that they will get in touch with you or they are completely in control. Mm, absolutely. Like you, I've got 100 people on furlough and I've got uh, I've got empty kitchens and I've got, you know, very competent, uh, highly skilled chefs. And, you know, we can produce if need be. And we've not gone down the home delivery market and the complexities of that for we- reasons I won't bore you with now. But, uh, yeah, they're, they're ready and able if need be. Um, talking to some of the good stuff that's coming out of this and you knocking on doors and offering that link to sort of other human yeah. beings uh, is great. What, what, have you been impressed by that sort of sense of community and have you got any other examples of stuff that's been going on that you've seen that's sort of made you smile yeah there's there's a there's a lady who i delivered to down in burton bradstock um about a week ago and she rang me up this morning and she said listen um although i've not been able to to meet my neighbors i'm acting as the local community hub for distribution she said, can you still deliver down here? Because I've got around about five people who are in self-isolation who just, they, they're old, they're elderly, they can't use the internet, they've never done an online delivery before. Can, can I still buy from you in order to be able to do that? And I said, that's, and will you deliver? I said, of course I will. And that's a really nice thing where, where neighbours and communities are coming together in such a way that they are beginning to look out for each other. In, in a way that they've never done before. And she didn't really know her neighbours before, but she had taken it upon herself, although she has she is a vulnerable person herself and has got her husband is uh, particularly vulnerable. And she was the most scared one that I that I met on my round, actually. Really? So, yeah. I think they're trying to change the phrase from this sort of uh, social isolation to physical isolation, isn't it? And in some ways, we're becoming more social than we've ever been from a community perspective and, and looking after yeah, our neighbours. finding ways. What, what it does amaze me is I'm sort of doing relatively few journeys out, uh, and they are relatively few because I try and do, do a complete sort of round in one as opposed to going out and every time I get an order. Um, I'm surprised at the amount of people that are still gathering in what I would say is unsafe amounts. You see people in sort of groups. I saw a family of sort of, well, a group of around about 10 to 15 people yesterday just milling about. And I am really? I am surprised. And I'm. Where was that? In a park or something? No, it's just by the side of the road. Okay. Yeah, I have to say, I'm not seeing, I mean, I live by the beach, so I get out with my well, dog once like. a day. Uh, and. <laughs> Yeah, I'm very lucky. Yeah, we go for a walk, and uh, people are being really good. Actually, the the, the sort of pinch points are the uh, the zigzags getting down from the sort of cliff top onto the promenade. But people are sort of single file um, either side, and and it's not sort of a constant flow. But if you do cross over, people are going single file. And I have to say, in the main, I've been really impressed by yeah people trying to avoid each other. And certainly, if you go down to the sand onto the waterfront rather than onto the promenade, it's it's pretty easy, and people are giving each other you know a, a good amount of space. But uh, I guess this is a new skill that we're learning. Isn't it, it is, it's not something it's, we've done before. It, it's the, that new skill of not appearing to be impolite. So when customers come into the shop and you back up down the corridor uh, as, as they're sort of coming in, and you, whereas normally you'd sort of walk towards them and sort of welcome them, and now you're, you're doing this welcome at distance. Yeah, we're learning a whole load of new uh, social interactions, really, aren't we? Yeah, and a very different skill in hospitality where we're used to being quite a sort of touchy-feely, affectionate bunch. Um, on a personal level, Giles, you know, clearly a, a huge amount of pressure. You've been in business a long time. I remember when I sat with you, I was impressed that you've, you know, you've been on this uh, roller coaster of business and the good times and the bad times for so long. Um, this must be, you know, one of one of the worst and the most terrifying. How are you coping on a personal level? Have you got have you got any kind of experience that you've used before? Some sort of wise words where you've been through it, and, and how are you coping at the moment? Oh, I don't 
don't think I've got any wise words for anybody, really. I'm far, far too long in the tooth for that. Um, the one thing I would say is that I spent uh, my early career was uh, was military. I was in um, in the in the army for ten years, and we sort of always used to talk about nuclear, biological, and chemical warfare and having to be closed down for a limited period of time. And we used to operate. Uh, wearing full hazmat suits and respirators and we'd operate for anywhere between 24 and 48 hours inside those and they always taught you that there was there would always be an endpoint. didn't matter how didn't matter how grim it was right at the very start you knew it would end and it would come to an end at some point and i guess we know that this will will at some point come to an end and we just have to not think that that is so far in the distance that it's unimaginable. Life beyond it is kind of going to be a little bit different and it will never, ever return to what we used to call normal. This is the new normal. And the faster you can adapt to the new normal, the better off you'll be and the less mentally stressed you're going to get. And, and when you say it won't return to the, you know, the old normal, what sort of things, Giles, do you think are going to be different off the back of this? I think it's far too early to tell, if I'm perfectly honest. But I can't see, I can't see the same carefree existence returning that we once enjoyed. It will be a different existence, and we will learn to treat that as being our new carefree existence. But I think this is going to have a long-term social impact and a long-term and a hugely long-term economic impact. So. Yeah, the financial side of it's hard to uh, comprehend, I think, isn't it? I, I hope that we'll we'll have a sense of gratitude and a sense of community. I am the eternal deluded optimist, but you know, I've seen people using their local greengrocers and using their local bakeries more than I've ever seen before. I've seen this sort of, yeah, local community, and and I hope that we'll come out of it a little bit more grateful and maybe supporting the little guy a little bit more and recognizing that you know we don't want to be dominated just purely by the big multinationals and that to, to survive long term we do need you know sort of yeah to i think one local. of the ironies in all of this is that this is just the time when we need our local high streets this is just the time when we actually yeah, need true. to be able to use our local deli and use our local greengrocer and use our local butcher and they are sometimes struggling because when you when, when you spend five quid in your greengrocer, that five quid goes from the greengrocer over to the butcher and the butcher goes into the pub and spends it in there and the pub goes over to the newsagent. And that five pounds is traditionally thought of as being worth around about 25 pounds. It, it goes around 20, about five times in the local community. When you spend it in one of the larger um, supermarkets, it just gets sucked straight out of the local region. And the supermarkets are having quite a bonanza. It's like Christmas every day for them at the moment. And I don't knock them for that because their supply chains are about the only ones that can cope with the additional demand that is being placed. Um, so, yeah, I, I do wonder, and I'm not entirely sure um, what it's going to look like on the other side. There is another side. And we'll all see each other on it. Um, I just hope we, we get there as, as swiftly and as safely as we possibly can. Um, we just, to the advice that yeah. we're given. 
Well, I hope so too, Giles. And, uh, you know, again, just uh, hats off to you for uh, pivoting quickly and for getting your website up and running and at least, you know, doing your bit and worrying about your team and getting out there in the community. I think if we all in our, you know, in our little neck of the woods do the right thing, then, then you know, we will come out of this uh, positively. I always think that we'll come out of things positively. Um, Giles, if people want to go online and order and, and help support you, what's the website Well, it's www.loafandlarder.com. Okay, perfect. And uh, uh, yeah, we're looking looking forward to serving as many people as we possibly can. Great. Well, I will put a link up as well on the uh, Humans of Hospitality website. But Giles, it's just you know nice yeah, to catch up. Um, hopefully, we can do this again in the future, face to face with a cup of coffee. But for now, uh, good luck. Stay safe. Keep doing what you do, and uh, we'll catch yeah, up catch on the up other on side. The other side, Mark. Thank you. I very much. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Giles. I think you'll agree that. Sort of Giles represents the entrepreneurial sector really well and, and demonstrates you know, what's needed to, to whatever the challenge to keep coming up with ways to try and keep your business afloat. And the motivation for that isn't always financial. It's just to you know, keep the team employed uh, and to do your bit and keep the economy running so that ultimately we can come out the other side of the current sort of COVID chaos in the hospitality, but across all business sectors. So uh, thanks for listening. I've got a few more people booked in to have a chat with how they are coping with the current situation, either either past guests, but also a couple of new ones as well. Uh, and as I said at the start, if there's any way you can support this podcast by going to patreon.com, Humans of Hospitality, uh, and making a donation, that would be great. Keep us on the air. And if you're listening on iTunes or one of the other players, if you could uh, click on that five-star button and leave a good review, uh, that would also be appreciated since hopefully I can then uh, get this sponsored and we will stay on the air and continue to have great conversations uh, and represent the independent hospitality sector here in the UK. Okay, thanks so much and uh, speak to you again soon.